this is Contra Radio from Contra.Scot. Hi folks, David Jameson here. Just to say that this fascinating interview with Dr Nick McCarroll, a constitutional law expert, was recorded just before Rishi Sunak announced that the Scottish Secretary Alistair Jack would indeed use a Section 35 to block the GRR legislation. Nonetheless, I think that doesn't diminish the quality of Nick's points throughout the interview. So with that in mind, please do enjoy. Hi folks, David Jamieson here, editor of Contour.Scot. Very glad today to be joined by Dr. Nick McCarroll, a legal academic and an expert in constitutional affairs, to discuss Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's threat to unleash a constitutional crisis by blocking uh, the recently passed Gender Recognition Reform Act, which of course passed through the Scottish Parliament late last year. Dr. Nick, thanks very much for coming on. Thanks, David. Thanks for inviting us. Let me just ask, first of all, Rishi Sunak says that he's going to use Section 35 of the Scotland Act to uh, intercept this legislation, to block it, um, basically. Uh, How does that work? Right. Well, Section 35 has never, ever been used before in the history of devolution. Uh, So in the 20-odd years that we've had the Scottish Parliament, this particular section has never been utilised. And what it allows for is the UK government, any minister in the UK government, actually, so it doesn't have to be Rishi Sunak, it doesn't have to be uh, the Scottish Secretary, it could be any government minister of the UK, they can issue an order, which is a piece of formally what we call delegated legislation by the government, that um, they don't want to, uh, the Scottish, uh, the, the act of the Scottish Parliament that's been passed by the Parliament, they don't want it to get royal assent and therefore become a full act of parliament. So uh, laws, legislation that's made in Westminster and in the Scottish Parliament, the final stage of that legislation requires the permission, if you like, of the monarch, the head of state, and that's called royal assent. Now, that's often seen as just a sort of a rubber stamping exercise, and indeed the convention is that the monarch always gives royal assent to laws that have passed the proper stages of uh, lawmaking in uh, Westminster or in Scotland. However, in Scotland, because it's a devolved body, this power exists to prevent it going to royal assent. Um, If in um, quite unusual circumstances, which is obviously why it's never been used, the UK government believe it is not required, it should not get royal assent. And if you look at Section 35, what it specifically (laughs) speaks about is if, first of all, if the government believe that the law um, is incompatible with international law or um, national security or defence, that's the first one. And obviously, that's not the the, the context here um, that we're talking about in the gender recognition laws. Uh, But the other one is to make modification of law uh, that applies to reserve matters or would have a bad effect on the operation of reserve matters. In the, U- in the rest of the UK. Now, I think the, the reason I mentioned the first part of that law is that's the context in which this section was passed when it was created. It's the sort of, um, it's the final, it's the nuclear option, if you like, if they think a, a law in the Scottish Parliament goes into those very dramatic areas of reserve matters. Because if you look at section 35, it's the final word on this. 
this would, in a sense, although this isn't completely accurate, but that in a sense it would be a veto of the law of the Scottish Parliament. Now, you may recall, and your, your listeners might recall, that there has been other examples of the UK government intervening with Scottish laws uh, because they believed they, they were out with the power of the Scottish Parliament. Uh, however, what that results in is a, a reference to the Supreme Court. Uh, so the judiciary, the judges look at the law. That's happened twice in recent memory. Uh, you may remember the, the, the massively drawn out issues on Brexit. There was a Brexit law passed by the Scottish Parliament with a majority um, that never became law because the UK government referred it to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court um, essentially said it was out with the power of the Scottish Parliament. There was also a law on the rights of the child, which was referred to, which was referred to an international treaty, which was referred by the UK government to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court again ruled that it was out with the power of the Scottish uh, Parliament. And of course, very recently, we've had the very unusual process of the Scottish government themselves referring a law before it went to the Parliament to the Supreme Court to see whether it was within the powers or not of it. And that was obviously the law regarding the um, um, uh, independence referendum, which I think I spoke to you about at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is different. This section 35 is different because you're not going to court. It doesn't go to the Supreme Court. It's the politicians saying, no, you're not doing that. So that's why it's, it's controversial, unusual, and problematic legally because there's no legal discussion. It's simply the UK government saying, no, you can't do that, which is bad op- bad optics, as they say in, in the sort of uh, politics circles, but also is problematic because we live in a devolved settlement where legal um, limits are obviously part of the deal with devolution. We don't have absolute power in Scotland to pass laws on everything we want because we're devolved. But to not have any legal debate on it is problematic. So that's that's why this is such a high stakes move. And I think as much related to devolution as more as is related to sort of issues about the culture war and and making statements on trans uh, trans people and trans rights. I think because. This is what I wanted. This is what I wanted to ask about because yeah. um, I mean the fact that this um, the section thirty five route is the one that's chosen. Could this have been referred to the courts in the way previous yeah. agreements have been? Yes, and I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure it won't still be. I mean, I I don't know if it's still if this is a wee bit of bluster in the section thirty five, and that there could be a potential of them saying, well, okay, we're going to refer it to the courts. Uh, which also, because th- there's been obviously all the discussion on Section 35, and then you get to refer to the courts. I think the the reason I'm not saying that is because it's a more convoluted argument. They've never said, uh, the UK government's never said, this is to do with reserve matters uh, as regards trans rights and gender recognition reform. Um, th- it's sort of this came out the blue a little bit after the law was passed by the Scottish Parliament. Whereas, as you know, and you'll have followed it, the debate on the independence referendum was, you know, ad infinitum. <laughs> the issues were, we've well, not got the power to do it. You've not got the power to do it. So ultimately, although it was the Scottish government that referred to it as, as the reasons we discussed the last time, uh, the last podcast we discussed it, um, there was always a debate, is it in the power or not? This is different to that. 
Um, because what they're essentially saying is not necessarily inside with the power, but it's overreaching, if you like. The the law and the way it's structured would go into areas of reserved matters, which in particular, the Equality Act, which I'll come back to 2010, it will go into. So it's not a law in and of itself that's dealing with an issue that's clearly reserved, which the UK government's position, which was confirmed by the Supreme Court, was on the matter of, of an independence referendum. That was confirmed by the, the, the Supreme Court. That was out with the power of the Scottish Parliament to do that. It's not that area. Um, the problem is, and this, I mean, this is when we, <laughs> I mean, this shows the, the difficulty when you start getting the legal intervention. The problem is for the UK government, if they do it, they will then be subject to a UK, uh, to a Scottish government legal challenge, undoubtedly. Because, and that is possible, and the reason it's possible is because if the UK government, Rishi Sunak, uh, Kemi Badenoch, or um, the Secretary of State for Scotland, it, whoever issues the order, it's a government order, not a piece of Westminster legislation. So a government order is subject to judicial review. So the Scottish government could go to court in Scotland to challenge that UK government order. And they, they definitely will do that, I think, if it's issued. Uh, which, again, is another reason why I'm not sure they'll definitely do it, the UK government. Because if the Scottish government can take legal action, the UK government then on the back foot. You see what I mean? It, 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 it's not... So that's why it's not clearly a veto. Because it can be challenged in court. It's not an absolute exercise of power where they're saying you're just not doing it. It'll go back to the courts in Scotland on that area. Because if you look at the text of Section 35, it states that the, the UK government have to have reasonable grounds to explain uh, why they're doing the order. Reasonable grounds, very legalistic phrase. It's not defined reasonableness. It's in the eye of the beholder. But the roots of it are they have to have reasons to do it. And the Scottish government would argue, probably with quite a strong argument, that the reasons the UK government are intervening are not clear in law. So um, I should say before we proceed that as you know, as we've said, this hasn't section thirty-five has not been yet publicly announced yet. There is a lot of speculation, and it's being trailed in the, in the conservative press as yes. though it will happen. So the Telegraph uh, actually has a, a running live blog on whether or not Rishi Sunak has deployed the section thirty-five yet. Now that might suggest that it's that they've decided to do it. Sunak must do it. But by Wednesday, if he's going to, um, it may also suggest, as you say, that this is grandstanding. It's impossible to tell right now. Yeah. But I, either way, I mean, either if they go for a section thirty-five or if they roll back from that, it's a different type of legal challenge. Yes. It only implies, as you say, that there's an interest in orchestrating this clash between Holyrood and Westminster. Perhaps that's one way. Perhaps Sunak wants to be seen to be tough with Holyrood. Perhaps it's two ways. Perhaps Sturgeon would also be quite happy to see a conflict of this kind. That's pure speculation. Uh, yeah. on um, one thing I wanted to ask is you mentioned the Equality Act. Um, now, in the back and forth over this debate for months and years, you've had proponents of the gender recognition reforms insist that this leaves the Equality Act unaffected, the other side of the debate insists that this will change the Equality Act. Am I getting that right? Yeah, more or less, although they've changed, I mean, it's more, they, they have changed the position on the, 
um, mm. both supporters and opponents of it. Yeah, that that's essentially the argument. The argument is that um, in the Equality Act, there's, there's a series of protected characteristics, and uh, obviously trans rights and biological sex rights um, are protected as protected characteristics. The argument is that by changing gender recognition certificates aren't a new thing. They've been around since before the Equality Act was introduced in 2010. So we've had gender recognition certificates um, in 2000, since 2004, I think, uh, following a ruling in the European Court of Human Rights, which ruled that the, the way that the Britain dealt with transgender uh, people and their, their ability to, to, to change gender uh, was uh, in breach of human rights law. So therefore, gender recognition certificates were um, introduced then. What the argument of those that oppose the Gender Recognition Reform Act is, is that by changing the nature of the way in which you get a gender recognition certificate, which in essence is what the gender recognition reform does because it, it, re it removes the sort of medical um, process that, that existed beforehand or changes the medical process, if you like. Um, they say by changing that process, it affects equality because and they would they would deny the language. But in a sense, they're arguing it's easier to get a gender recognition certificate. So therefore, that could challenge sex protections in the Equality Act. Um, for things like you know um, same-sex spaces and so on. Um, is it putatively to defend the Equality Act that Sunak's making this intervention? Yeah, well, that, that's what it has to be because you have to argue. Well, what's the what's the reserved power that you are saying there's going to be a knock-on effect to? And he's arguing it's got to be the Equality Act. Because remember what I said at the start: this power is normally for national security, defence. Or international law. No, it's not that category, but it's it, it's in that sort of high-ranking area that this law has been passed. So, so it's got to have a major effect, I would say, on on reserved powers for that to 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 be valid. Now, but on the face of it, it looks like well, that's a, that's a, an intervention um, because it looks like, in a sense. What the UK government's role is in this section is we are protecting the union, literally, because they're protecting reserve matters, including, as I've said, as mentioned in that section, national security, defence. So those are the sort of fundamentals, if you like, of the union. Um, so they're saying we're protecting this reserve matter. However, I would say because it's in the area that is contested legally, that's a problem. It makes... In a legal sense, it makes more sense to say, well, let's refer this to the Supreme Court to decide it, uh, which they've done before, as I said, twice before. Um, and the Scottish government have done it on another one occasion on the independence referendum question. Um, it's difficult, I think, obviously, there's got the power to do it, but it's difficult to say we are stopping this law um, because there is a contested legal position because the UK, sorry, the Scottish government will have legal advice which outlines why it believes it's got the power to do what it's doing in terms of this law. And there hasn't been a, a sort of inkling of this saying that this is dealing with reserved matters until quite late on in the, the whole process of the debate on this law. In fact, I think the Labour Party, Scottish Labour, got an amendment um, into the, to the Act which explicitly says this will not affect the Equality Act. That's actually in the law. So... Um, 
you're right, I think, when you said this sort of the idea of theatre of, of this idea of um we're stopping this um is there, but the the problem with it is it is a contested legal question, which ultimately the courts will have to have a say on because the, the there's no absolute answer to it. And it's not an absolute veto because it is a government order which will be issued by the UK government if they do it on Wednesday, which is a form of law which is subject to a judicial oversight, whereas acts of the Westminster Parliament aren't acts of the Westminster Parliament because of the concept of sovereignty of Westminster would not be subject to the same judicial oversight as a government order is. So there will be a legal case on this. It's just a question of what court it's in and who sort of takes the initiative to have it in in court. There's been there's a debate right now in Scotland over whether this represents um, an attack on devolution from yeah. the Westminster government, or w- whether since this section 35 of the Scotland Act is part of the legal architecture of devolution itself, this is really this is merely devolution in action. Um, I mean. How would you understand? Is this an attack on devolution, or is this a whole well, devolution, or is it, or is it, as you say, a bit of theatre? It's it's all of the above. I think it's it's um, it's unusual to use this law, as I said, because it's it's um, a contested area. That's my my problem with it. There's a there's two legal arguments here on the um, extent of the of the uh, gender recognition reform and its effect on equality legislation. And that has to be tested in court. So to use this section 35, which was introduced in devolution, I would say for, as a sort of um, ultimate backstop, remember that phrase from the the, the Brexit, uh, never ending Brexit discussions Mm -hmm. a few years ago, Um, for really extreme cases, um, so, so for I mean, if if the the Scottish Parliament passed a law on um, u- uh, unilateral nuclear disarmament type thing, or uh, backing the backing Russia in the Ukraine conflict, uh, Ukraine war, uh, that sort of extreme is this because it mentions national security defence now, which you know you could argue there's no real legal debate around that. Um, that and as you said earlier, that is devolution. Because devolution, you don't have the power to do it. Um, but this one's much more ambiguous in terms of law. So, um, in a sense, um, I, I think, and another issue you've not you've not really touched on, but I think, in a sense, UK government probably re- realised the division that exists within the Scottish uh, government, well, the SNP as a party, on this issue. So, it's it's a bit more political in a sense than legal because they know they can exploit. There isn't a unified voice of saying this is a democratic outrage that you would get if it was something like an independence referendum. And we have had that uh, since that ruling um, in uh, in November last year. This one will be it. Well, I mean, if it happens, I think it's a definition of the sort of ultimate power of the union that exists in devolution because it's, you're not even going to court. Although, as I said, um, there can be a legal action. It'll be the Scottish government that take the initiative on that, though. But it's a real, it's a showing of power, and I think they think they can do it. If they do do it, I'm still not 100 percent convinced they will do it. But it, they show they can do it because it's mixed up with debates within parties on this this issue. So there's a bit of distraction there, so you can't really say 
it's totally to do with a national dispute. Although I see that I just saw Nicola Sturgeon's statement earlier that that's the the way she's putting it that is normalising the the veto of of laws. Again, it's not strictly a veto for the reasons I've said, and I'd, it's probably overstretching to say of normalising it, given this is the first time it's happened in twenty odd years. But it is unusual to do it, and I think it is the theatrical elements of it can't be sort of underplayed because it, if it was really to do with legal concerns, then you'd refer it to the Supreme Court. Let me ask about a really interesting article uh, that appeared from Andrew Tickell, who is uh, a fellow legal eagle uh, yeah, uh, with yeah. an article in The National, where he talks about this concept of you know Hollywood's junk legislation. And he says that there is a, a common refrain that Hollywood passes bad legislation and that's why it's open to challenge. Whereas really it's about the nature of the devolved institution, not having the kind of parliamentary sovereignty that the House of Commons had. Yeah. And that's, that's why there's such a different culture of, of, of legal challenge, which I thought was a, a really interesting insight. I mean, I have to say as a lay person, it has been my impression that there has been some very bad legislation passed through Holyrood. In the case of this legislation, again, there's a sharp polarization as there is over literally anything that comes within sight or smell of this debate. And yeah. there's one side saying, this is the most impeccable legislation ever. We argued over it and argued over it and scrutinized it forever. Yeah. And another wing saying, no, it wasn't. It was rammed through at Christmas. Um, yeah. So, um, I mean, is is it is it fair to say or is it wrong to say that uh, this legislation is vulnerable because it's badly constructed? I think uh, I'm, I'm more or less with my my colleague and friend Andrew uh, on this. In that most lawmaking bodies in the world um, are subject to review because most lawmaking bodies in the world are um, covered by a, con a written constitution, and in most countries in the world, that written constitution is uh, upheld by the, by a court, the Supreme Court in many countries in the world. So any law that's passed in those countries can be subject to legal challenge. Now, in Britain, we're not used to that so much because we've been part of this powerful Westminster state for so long that ultimately had the concept without having a written constitution saying the parliament is sovereign. So Westminster law that's passed will be followed by the courts, whatever. Now, that's that's a bit of a caricature, but that's generally the position that, that's existed. So Westminster, the idea of the mother of all parliaments or laws that is, that is great, we've got the House of Lords, they can look at this law, they can scrutinise it, they can bring their expertise. A lot of that is, is sort of um, spin because the point is, what it, if law is good, bad or indifferent from Westminster, it still couldn't be overturned by the courts because they've not got that power to do it. So the devolved parliament, as we'll see in Wales, as Wales is getting more powers uh, for it, um, is subject not to a written constitution, but to an act of Westminster, uh, which means it does have the ability to be challenged and overturned in courts, which doesn't have the Westminster. So that's more akin to a constitutional settlement. So the Scottish parliament could be good, could be bad, but it can be challenged by the courts. Um, so the ability to be challenged in the courts isn't necessarily a sign of bad law. It's a sign of a, a, a legal system that's regulated by an external body. 
which ultimately many people argue in an independent Scotland, we should have a written constitution. Ultimately, that's the, the, the system that probably if Scotland became independent, we would have. So the laws that were made in independent Scotland would be challenged in the courts and could be overturned by the courts um, in that model. So the scrutiny of, of, of laws, uh, I think, is uh, is an important point. And particularly, I, I wouldn't say so much the gender recognition laws, but if you look at the laws that were passed in the majority parliament of the SNP, which was the one under Salmon in 2011 to 2016, a lot of those laws were overturned because they, they had a majority and they got laws through relatively easily. So you remember the, the football legislation, the Named Persons Act, the mm. creation of Police Scotland, which wasn't overturned, but was, 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 was very problematic. All of that happened in that sort of parliament. So it's a bit of both, I think, um, in terms of um, ignoring scrutiny, which any government, Scottish government, UK government, would do. I mean, today in the UK Parliament, they're debating this this um, her- horrific attack on trade unions and the right to strike. Yeah, and that could be rammed through the UK Parliament. And that can't be overturned in the courts. Although I see the trade union movement, actually, you see are talking about legal challenge. But when that becomes an act, if it becomes an act, um, it'll be very difficult uh, to overturn it because of the concept of sovereignty um, in Westminster. Um, and there's no real scrutiny there, arguably, if the Tories ram it through the House of Commons. So, yeah, I think this philosophising, well, the Scottish Parliament makes bad laws, I don't buy it because I think the Scottish Parliament is open to legal regulation, which I think in balance is a good thing because it means that you've got an external um, overview of politicians. Um, but it's in contrast to Westminster where that, that can't happen. Just very finally, so we've talked about how this looks like an opportunist move from, from Rishi Sunak. Yeah. When it comes to the protestations of our own domestic politicians, at least those who are pro-independence and therefore prone to talk about um, a defence of the devolution settlement as well. I mean, are we not reminded slightly of um, the process through the Supreme Court last year, which is there's a lot of um, crying and whinging about attacks on devolution but ultimately, politicians like Nicola Sturgeon understand fine well what the limitations of the devolution settlement are. Yes. subject to UK law. I mean, in the case of the Supreme Court, it was ridiculous because the whole purpose of an institution like the Supreme Court is to defend, you know, the constitutional uh, coherence of the British state. It's, it's not ever going to do anything against its own laws. Um, but in this case as well, there's a degree of opportunism because it's sort of saying, I, I mean, Nicola Sturgeon will have known, will have received legal advice that this was a possibility, perhaps uh, not one that was particularly foreseen, because as you say, it's, yeah. it's, it's an unnecessary move in, in, a, in a legal sense from, from Rishi Sunak. But, I mean, are we not just seeing our latest mutation of a kind of a standoff between nationalist politicians in Scotland and Tory politicians in Westminster, that at least in theory could be- benefit both sides. Yeah, yeah, a wee bit. I, th- I think I think that's right in, in terms of what will happen. But I don't, I don't necessarily think that's how they got here. Where, where I think uh, I think in the question of the independence referendum, that was undoubtedly the dynamic that was at play. This one is more surprising because remember, in the independence referendum, the Lord Advocate 
didn't support essentially the Scottish government's position that it was within the powers. And that's why she referred it to the Supreme Court uh, to do that. Now, the legal advice and the, and the uh, guidance which they'll have got from the uh, Lord Advocate and also the legal advisors to the Scottish Parliament, who are different, uh, they, they advise the presiding officer who chairs the Scottish Parliament. Both of them will have, uh, have okayed the gender recognition reform laws. So this is a bit more of a surprising development, I would say, on this matter and in the context of it. So, but I th so I think both sides will take the opportunity to do that, although it will be interesting to see because there's been some opposition to gender re recognition reform in the SNP, how strong that is from every um, politician of the SNP. I'm not, well, that, that, um, that it's the biggest issue of rebellion, isn't it? I think the SNP have had in Parliament. Yeah, and I thought that was an interesting point that you made, that this could be Sunak probing for weaknesses in the yeah. front. Um, and so that, that's the issue there. I mean, the other thing to know is that, and I've sort of said it by implication, is that even if nothing happens, um, if the UK government sit in their hands and don't do anything and it get, gets royal assent, it can still be challenged in the courts. Uh, but then it would be challenged by uh, citizens in Scotland campaign groups in Scotland could raise a legal challenge. That happened, for example, with the named persons legislation, which was the law um, that allowed um, a, a named individual to be responsible for every child in Scotland. And ultimately, the Christian Institute, a, a Christian campaigning group, challenged it successfully under human rights uh, challenge because they said it in, invaded families' privacy. Um, and that was overturned. Um, by the courts, not by the uh, not by the UK government, by the courts, and the UK government didn't have a didn't intervene in that. Um, unsuccessfully, the whiskey industry, you might recall, um, decade ago, took years to challenge the minimum pricing of alcohol policy of the Scottish government. Took it through every court in Britain. Took it to the European Union courts when we were still in the European Union. They were unsuccessful, but they. But it's, it delayed the introduction of minimum pricing uh, quite significantly by those legal challenges. So Scottish laws would be challenged. So even the UK government sitting their hands this week, um, it'll still be challenged in court. Uh, and there seems to be quite a lot of campaign groups, well-funded, crowdsourced and so on, that would take that challenge on. Now, they might not be successful, but they could be delaying, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the nature of the, the beast that we're in now in Scotland. Well, well, that's the nature of the beast of devolution, as I said. Because laws are subject to a legal framework, they can be challenged in court in a way that Westminster laws can't be. So this intervention of the UK government, in a sense, to me, is unnecessary if they're really, if it's really about um, trans rights or extending trans rights into areas that the UK government don't think they should go into because they don't have to do the fight. There's campaign groups that could do it and ha would have a legal mechanism to do it. If it's about the union, then this is an extreme measure to just do it without going to the Supreme Court. Um, so let, we'll see what route they choose to go down. But uh, on your overall arching point, I think, is right in terms of uh, devolution, ultimately, needs a backstop to say, well, what if a Scottish Parliament does something that ultimately threatens the union? The UK government have the final say on it, although it's not, it's 
not the final say because it could be subject to the judicial review. But that's where the impression will be given if the Section 35 order is issued on Wednesday. And I think the First Minister and others will try and use that language of it. How successful will be? Because at the same time, they'll be saying, but we're going to challenge it in court. So they can't really say, this is vetoing it, because then, but we're going to challenge this. Um, so um, I think there's lots of dynamics at play, but ultimately it does show if you've got a, a devolved body, it will be subject to courts. And the ultimate courts um, that protect devolution are UK courts. Okay, uh, Dr. Nick, thanks very much for that. That was a really interesting discussion. I thought it was particularly interesting the point you made about, you know, really this was supposed to stop a Scottish Parliament going rogue over, uh, you know, international policy, yeah. war, defence and so on. Uh, if only. Much cause to worry about that so far. Um, but thanks very much for sharing your expertise on this um, question. It would be great to get you back on to discuss another matter in the future. Okay. Thanks, David. Want more like this? Subscribe to Contra Radio on our SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sign up to our regular newsletter at contra.substack.com and find great articles and more at contour.scot. We really rely on listeners like you to help us grow. In return, you get access to exclusive content and events by joining our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash contourscott.